0: It's time once again for the Evidence for Faith show. Hello everybody, I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Arrakis. This is the Christian Evidences and Worldview radio program, where we help Christians become thinkers and thinkers become Christians. We are doing something new. We are recording this. You are listening to this recorded on Saturday, April 3rd before a live audience. Let's hear the audience. We are at the Men's Resurrection Breakfast at First Baptist Church in Egg Harbor City, New Jersey on London Avenue. And Pastor Ort has introduced us and we are recording this for airplay. Mike, you are the special guest today because you are a medical physician.
1: Keith, I'm very excited to be here. We're talking today about the death of Jesus Christ by crucifixion. We're gonna talk about the pathophysiology and all of the medical stuff that happens to a body when, when a body is subjected to the uh, torture form that was um, uh, perfected by the Romans uh, over 2,000 years ago, which caused death uh, on a cross. So we're gonna be talking about all of the organ systems that went into failure uh, as a result of crucifixion and why the body would fail and uh, the historicity of uh, not only crucifixion, but also of Jesus's life and his death, his bona fide death by crucifixion.
0: And resurrection, which is celebrated tomorrow, it's Easter, it's an important day for Christians, but this should also be an important day for non-Christians to think about Christianity, because the teachings of Jesus Christ have made an incredible Impact on the world so the non-christian has got to ask himself What is it about Jesus? Did he really rise from the dead? now His teachings have formed the basis for Christianity, which has had arguably the greatest impact on the world for good of any way of thinking any other religion or any other philosophy and it's influenced the world in incredible ways. Hospitals, um, orphanages, all kinds of advances in human beings caring for other human beings has all been spawned from Christianity and its development through the Middle Ages and on to today. So the non-Christians got to ask himself, is there really something to Christianity, should I be looking into it? Well, one of the main things that they're gonna hear that the resurrection is not true is something called the swoon theory. Anybody who in the audience has heard of the swoon theory? Okay, so hands are going up. The swoon theory is something that the critics espouse to get rid of the resurrection, right? They've got a problem. The evidence seems to show there's a lot of eyewitness reports that, evi- that Jesus rose from the dead. So maybe the answer is not a miracle, not God's stamp of approval on the teachings of Jesus, but maybe he just didn't die, and that's the solution. So did Jesus really swoon on the cross and come down alive and go into a tomb and revive? And that's what happened. He... Rolled away the stone and appeared to his disciples three days la- later and said here. I am I'm risen from the dead just like I told you is that what happened?
1: You know, it's really interesting Keith if, if you look at uh, An execution style death today, you know, let's say uh, uh, by lethal injection or even the electric chair uh, it would be uh, the same as somebody being fried in an electric chair for ten minutes Uh, And then three days later, walking away with smoke still percolating out of their scalp and saying, hey, somebody give me a drink, I'm thirsty. Well, you know what, guys, that never happened. You know, when when a Roman executioner hung you on a cross for anywhere from three to four days or three to four hours, and we're going to talk about all of the effects and and the art form that was perfected by the Romans, when somebody was crucified, they were dead. Okay, there were no survivors. There were no prisoners, they were all dead. They were pronounced dead, and they
0: were dead. Dead is dead, okay? If you are just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith, which is supported in part by Grace Community Church. You can check out Grace Community Church at placeforgrace.org. I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. And we're looking at the death of Jesus it is Easter Sunday today when you're hearing this recording before a live audience at the Men's Resurrection Breakfast. Guys, let's hear you again. <clears throat> All right. Today we're, we're gonna be talking about the death of Jesus and we are using for our source material a very famous medical article mm-hmm. From the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, written by Dr. William Edwards, who is a pathologist. That's correct. Called On the Physical Death of Jesus. And it uses the historical literature, non-biblical literature, also, of course, the, the four gospels, to explain what happened to Jesus. And it also looks at the medical evidence from a pathologist's view of How Jesus died so we're looking at the biblical evidence and the non biblical evidence Um, and in the past on past radio shows we have talked about the accuracy of the scripture and the reliability so uh, it is very useful the four Gospels are very useful but we're gonna go beyond that today and talk about the uh, what the non biblical historians had to say also so our sources uh, are gonna be including both Christian sources, Jewish sources, Roman sources, authors such as Seneca, Livy, and Plutarch, uh, Roman historians such as Cornelius Tacitus, Pliny the Younger, Suetonius, and uh, non-Roman historians such as Thallos and Phlegon, and this these satirical author, Lucian of Samosota, and then Jewish sources such as the Talmud, which is the writings by uh, the uh, Jews that discuss the uh, religious law and also have um, scriptural interpretation and commentary. So it's essentially a commentary on the Old Testament.
1: And we can't emphasize enough how important it is to use extra biblical sources when we have these discussions because there are a lot of skeptics, not only in our own families, but also in our own communities. So when we go into the extra-biblical sources, it gives more power to the message that we're giving. Uh, yes, the most uh, important accounts are those recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but the extra-biblical sources give, give us the extra punch that the near-believer or even the skeptic needs to hear, just from a historical perspective, whether or not Jesus was a true historical figure or not and whether or not he actually died a uh, crucified death and whether or not he rose again. So it's very important for us to list these things.
0: I was asked not too long ago, I don't know, anybody had this happen to them, where someone has said to them, gee, it's too bad that there aren't any historical references outside the Bible to Jesus. Anybody heard that? Raise your hands or, no? You have heard that. Yeah, most, some people haven't. But it is a common thought out there. Your friends and neighbors are thinking these kinds of things. So you tell them about what the scripture says about Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, and in the back of their head, they're thinking, they're nodding at you, and they're thinking, wow, it's too bad that if this really happened, you know, how come no historian has written about it? You know, well, in fact, they have.
1: Yeah, The historical references that Keith just cited uh, universally agree that Jesus was a historical figure. This is universal, this is accepted. This is not a, um, uh, something that was made up or the figment of the disciples' imagination from 2,000 years ago. He was a historical figure. Um, even the archaeological findings that they're coming up with uh, now suggest that everything that was written in the Bible is correct, uh, not only uh, in a time perspective, but also in location perspective. Um, when you look at all of these uh, testimonies, uh, not only what, what the archaeological record says, but also the extra-biblical sources say uh, Jesus was universally accepted as a true historical figure and that he surely, absolutely and 100% died a death by Roman crucifixion. This is not disputed.
0: All right, let's uh, get into the actual history and what happened. Mike, if you can give us an idea of the, the opening um okay. scene yeah open us up and tell us what's happening um right.
1: the day before you know i i have to give credit to mel gibson when he did the um the movie i'm sure uh, everybody's seen the passion okay uh mel gibson was very very true to the scriptural record on that and uh the movie starts out in the garden of the gethsemane which is where we're going to start out too uh, this occurred after the passover meal Uh, Jesus went to pray in the garden, and everybody knows that he asked his disciples to pray. And what did his disciples do? They slept. Now, there's an interesting parallel, guys. What is our church doing today? (laughs) It's sleeping, okay? There are too many Christian churches today that are asleep, and it's problematic. So Jesus is asking us to pray, not only as a nation, but also as a, a group of men Okay, And where are the men? I'm glad to see such great turnout here today. So that's a a compliment to uh, the various pastors that are here uh, with their church groups. But anyway, Jesus went to the garden to pray, and um, he was in severe distress and anguish. Now, something very peculiar happened to Jesus while he was praying over his future. He knew what was coming over the next day or two. He knew what was going to happen. And he said, Father, take this cup from me, but not by my will, but your will be done. Okay, I'm paraphrasing, but something peculiar happened. Does anybody remember what happened to his flesh at that point in time? He sweat blood, okay? Now there's seven known cases in the literature uh, of sweating blood. It's called hemohydrosis. I'll spell that for you if you want to look it up. It's H-E-M-O-H-I-D-R-O-S-I-S. Some people refer to it as hematidrosis, but hemohydrosis is typically what I tell my, uh, my people. And what that amounts to is this. If you're an extremist, there's something extreme happening to you to the point of death, okay? Your blood pressure goes so high because of the adrenal glands pumping out so much adrenaline that the blood actually goes into the apocrine sweat glands and then exudes through the pores along with sweat blood. Okay, So droplets of blood formed on Jesus' skin and it dripped to the ground when he was in such extreme agony visualizing and understanding the plan that was there from the point of creation that he was going to die. And I'm getting dove bumps guys right now saying this to you. I don't get goosebumps anymore. I get dove bumps. Okay, Everybody understands what I'm saying. But he had extreme anguish, mental anguish that to the point he was going to die even right there in the garden That he was sweating blood this is known to occur in people other than jesus christ so this really did happen and it's a phenomenon that we know of today hemohydrosis so that's a a very interesting stress point now here's the other thing i want you to keep in mind how many deer hunters do we have in here bow hunters okay you hit a deer you don't drop the deer what happens it's bleeding there's a blood trail I want you guys to watch the blood trail as this discussion commences and and works its way through There's a blood trail here that leads all the way to the cross and all the way to the grave and then after that Okay, and the blood trail was made for you and me But we start here in the Garden of Gethsemane with the first drops of blood that Jesus shed
0: by Hemohydrosis and then the arrest and the trials began shortly after midnight the uh Temple officials and Judas find Jesus. Judas gives Jesus the famous kiss. And then Jesus is going to be taken to Caiaphas, who is the Jewish high priest. Uh, He's tried. This is the political body of the Sanhedrin. Uh, He's given a charge, which, if you remember, was what? What was he charged with? Blasphemy, right? So he was found guilty. Now, this charge carries a death sentence, but the Jews were not allowed to carry out death sentences. So they had to get permission from the Romans. Uh, At this point, after he's found guilty of blasphemy, though, he's blindfolded by the temple guards. Uh, punched repeatedly, so the, now the, the beatings begin. Uh, so he's spat upon and punched in the face, and we begin to see some of the pain and suffering that Jesus is going through. Remember that one of the things that happens with this uh, bleeding from the pores is that it makes the skin incredibly sensitive because the entire surface of your skin is damaged now. So it's incredibly sensitive, and now you're being beaten up. So soon after daybreak, this would be either Friday morning or Thursday morning, depending on there's a historical debate about um, which day it actually was. So a lot of evidence to believe that it could have been uh, Thursday morning, actually. So, But regardless, Thursday, Friday morning, Jesus is tried before the a uh, religious body of the Sanhedrin, which included the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So everybody's getting on board to condemn Jesus. There's the two major factions of uh, the Jewish uh, religious life in Jerusalem. The Pharisees uh, who were strictly by the law of the uh, Pentateuch, the five uh, first books of the, of the Old Testament, The Sadducees, whose major uh, claim is that uh, they didn't believe in an afterlife. And that made them sad, you see. So there was this charge of blasphemy. Um, Jesus was found guilty and punishable by death. Then comes the Roman trials and hearings that had to occur before. Uh, Jesus could be crucified uh, under Roman law. So he was taken to the Praetorium, which was the official residence and governmental seat of Pontius Pilate, who was the procurator. Uh, Historically, critics have said Pontius Pilate didn't exist or wasn't there at the time that the Bible says. This has all been now completely proved that, in fact, Pilate was there. Inscriptions have been found. He fits exactly in with the exact time and even his personality We know a lot about him now. He fits the descriptions that are given in the Bible The Jews brought Jesus before him They made a little adjustment to their charge though. Now they said that Jesus is a self-appointed king Okay Little change in emphasis, because they knew they needed something stronger to get a, an approval for the death sentence. So, uh, so they, they said he was uh, making himself out to be king. Now, Pilate dismissed the case and sent Jesus on to Herod, who was Tetrarch of Judea. Herod, likewise, made no official charges and sent Jesus back to Pilate. Now, critics have also said, you know, this just doesn't make sense. The sending back and forth, you know, this would have never happened. You know, obviously the disciples uh, are just making this up. They are trying to inflate the story of Jesus and try to make it more than it really was because there's no way that these uh, officials would have been squabbling like this. And they could even point to the historian like Josephus, who would seems to show that them working together historically. Well, we now know that that there was an issue between these two men. Uh, other historians uh, have written; other at the time historians living in those times wrote that there was a squabble because Pilate had brought into Jerusalem some Roman uh, shields and put them on display. And the shields had the head of the emperor on them. Well, the head of the emperor, Caesar, was worshiped as a god at that time. And so the Jews were incredibly incensed. It caused rioting. And so this caused a great rift between Herod and Pilate. They were not talking to each other. They were really mad at each other. So this actually fits exactly with the historical situation that Pilate would want to really give it to Herod and if Herod thinks Pilate's trying to pull one on him he would send him right back so this does fit with the historical situation at the time and terrific evidence that what you're reading in the uh, in the Gospels is actually accurate
1: so basically you have Jesus now a hot potato being bounced back and forth Uh, he had two Jewish trials and now two mockery of trials by the um, the Roman officials. So now he's back in Pilate's camp again now for the fifth time now. In our court system, this would never happen, would it not? There's a there's something uh, in our judicial system that prevents you from being tried over and over again, right, but it happened there and it was pre-scripted and we knew that it was gonna happen, or at least Jesus knew it was gonna happen because God scripted it. But here here's the problem now, Pilate is now questioning Jesus again. And essentially he's trying to get to the bottom of it. You know, are you really a king, he asks Jesus. And Jesus says what? It is true, it is as you say it is. Okay, and what does Pilate ask? He asks the single most important question that philosophers are even asking today, our friends and family are asking us today, what is truth? That's what Pilate asks, what is truth? And with that, he walks away from Jesus, and he decides that he's gonna turn him over because the crowd was just vociferous. They wanted blood, okay? They wanted Jesus's blood, okay? And uh, the people persisted, they demanded crucifixion, and so what did they do? They released a very, very famous historical character. Who did they release, do you remember? Barabbas, Barabbas. interesting. My favorite uh, New Testament uh, player, why? Barabbas was the very first substitute that Jesus was sacrificed for, was he not? Every one of us sitting here today is a Barabbas, aren't we? Because Jesus sacrificed himself for us and Barabbas literally historically was a a criminal of the highest degree who was set free because of Jesus. Now, unfortunately, we don't know what happened to Barabbas after that, we don't know if the life of Jesus impacted him in such a way that he fell to his knees and recognized Jesus as his own Lord and Savior. But that is our prayer for anybody who doesn't know Jesus, that they too would see themselves as a Barabbas who could be freed and Jesus would die for them. So anyway, Barabbas was released and and Jesus was sentenced uh, to death. So Pilate then hands um, uh, Jesus over to be scourged And crucified now we're going to get into the brutality of what it meant to be uh, crucified scourging always preceded crucifixion the severity of the the scourging would actually um, allow for a certain time frame of death by crucifixion the more brutal the scourging was the faster the individual would die uh, a crucified death In fact some people were scourged so severely that they actually died at the whipping post okay just from blood loss and shock Um, so anyway if somebody was sentenced to die by by crucifixion uh, they were they were scourged first the only exceptions were uh, that if you were a woman with official charges uh, you would not be scourged you would just be hung on the cross other exceptions were Roman senators Roman soldiers, unless the Roman soldier was a deserter, then he would also be scourged. What they used was a short whip, also called a flagellum. What it was was a, um, a handle with three braided cords of leather, three leather thongs, if you will, braided together. But intermittently, during, in that braid, they would have bits of metal, bits of bone, and uh, typically some round uh, iron balls at the very end so that when the whip was uh, lashed across the individual's back, it would literally tear it open, it would tear the flesh open, literally down to the muscle, okay? Uh, That by itself could cause a severe amount of bleeding. Now Jewish law typically held that uh, 39 lashes would be administered and that they would be alternated from the right side and the left side. So in a severe beating, you would actually have two Roman guards administering the, uh, uh, the whipping okay alternating from the right alternating from the left and the slashes on the on the individual's back would be in a diagonal pattern and literally chunks of flesh would fly as uh, this individual individual was be- being beaten now going back to mel gibson's film the passion when james clavisel was beaten okay in one of the scenes he actually had a sheet of plywood covering his back but in one of the scenes the whip actually went around the side of the plywood and caught some of the side and front part of his abdomen, and it dropped into his knees and took his breath away for about two minutes, he couldn't breathe. That's how severe it was. That was in a uh, post-film interview that he had granted. Just to give you an idea, he got whacked one time, okay? Now, Jewish law held 39 lashes. He got whacked once with maybe a six-inch stripe, uh, but he was covered for the rest of the beating, okay? So just to give you an idea of how severe Uh, the pain and would be Uh, the 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 pain was so severe it was it was a burning and a searing uh, thing if anybody's been cut by a knife or anything like that yeah it burns a little bit but but a knife is a clean wound these thongs with metal bits and and uh, bone and so forth would actually rip the flesh so it wasn't a clean cut it was a a ripping tearing searing uh, kind of a pain now the, the whipping occurred uh, not only over the patient, uh, patient, the individual's back, but also his buttocks and his upper thighs. So pretty much the entire uh, exposed back uh, of this naked body that was literally tied to whipping post. The hands were up at the top of the whipping post and uh, the individual was totally vulnerable uh, to the whipping that was being applied by the, uh, the two guards. Uh, and it was um, um, a very, very, very brutal uh, form of uh, torture. Again, a lot of these people did not survive the scourging, uh, let alone the uh, crucifixion. So, the more severe the the scourging, uh, the more um, um, quickly the individual died, either at the whipping post or on the uh, uh, the uh, cross. Um, blood loss alone could cause circulatory collapse. So, that was uh, just one more piece of the um, the blood trail that I wanted to paint for you people uh, on this uh, Easter weekend.
0: If you are just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi,
1: I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis.
0: And we are before a live audience at the Men's Resurrection Breakfast at the First Baptist Church of Egg Harbor City. Guys. And we're talking about what happened to Jesus on the cross. So we, he's been beaten now. Uh, suffering from uh, blood loss, uh, tremendous amount of pain. And now the mocking begins. Now the gu- the guards are allowed to uh, poke fun and humiliate Jesus as much as they want. They put a purple robe on, right? He claims to be a king. Purple is the color of royalty. So they get a purple robe and place it on his just... Uh, ripped open back and shoulders. Uh, crown of thorns. King needs a crown. Let's make him a crown out of thorns. And they had some really nasty thorn bushes in that area and uh, was shoved down onto his forehead. The scalp is one of the most, uh, um, vascular. yeah, vascular is the right. See, that's why we have this medical doctor with us to give us those words. Vascular part of the of the body, it bleeds very easily. Uh, I've, uh, I my profession, I'm a, a registered nurse, and I've seen um, physicians uh, sewing up uh, scalp wounds, and you just put the needle in to do the, your suture, and the it starts to bleed from the needle wound. So uh, extremely um, uh, vascular area, which means lots of blood loss. Even small wounds in the scalp cause lots of blood loss. So uh, a wooden staff was put in his hand to be a scepter for him, um, and then he was spat on and beaten. The, uh, the robe was ripped off him, probably reopening the wounds. So we, have, we see Jesus now in at least a pre-shock state. If he is not in shock right now, he is at least... Uh, in a pre-shock state, uh, not doing so well. Um, since the, the prior uh, day, he hasn't had any food or water. He's not had any sleep. Uh, he's been tramped around all night to different trials. So he is certainly emotionally and physically exhausted uh, by all of this physical and even mental abuse. The scourging would have been incredibly painful, lots of blood loss. Now we get to the actual crucifixion. So I've got a question for you guys. Who invented crucifixion? The Romans? Okay, that's the usual answer. The Romans actually stole it, like everything else. They stole most of the stuff. From the but, Greeks. Yeah, exactly. But this time they got crucifixion from the Persians. So the Persians had invented uh, cru- crucifixion not long before. If you... Anybody read the Quran? Nobody? Nobody's read the Quran? Read some of it? Oh, one person? Okay. Pastor, Pastor Nick. Okay. Uh, one of the things that you get when you read the Quran is you get these strange, non-chronological statements, like Pharaoh orders that his magicians be crucified. Well, there wasn't crucifixion back uh, 2000 BC. So it could not have happened. The Persians actually invented crucifixion. And they started with just a single, Pole. They would uh, tie or impale a person on a pole, an upright post. Sometimes they would do a cross. The Romans took this idea, thought this is a great way to intimidate people, to terrorize the population, and keep them under control. So they perfected it as a form of capital punishment, because it was the most brutal, the most long-lasting and torturous death that they could think of. Nothing. Uh, you know, quick and easy like we like to do with uh, uh, overdosing somebody with pain painkillers and, and putting them to death that way. This caused a real slow, agonizing death, absolute maximum of pain and suffering, but it was also a disgrace. I mean, they were put up on public display. It, you can imagine that if, you know, maybe, um, You happen to be a mass murderer and you're going to get executed. At least you have the the decency of it's being a private event, maybe some uh, dignitaries watching from behind uh, glass windows. But in the Roman times, you were put on display. You were like a billboard. You were absolutely humiliated and disgraced. And this is another thing that just does not fit in with uh, Islam. Islam teaches that Jesus didn't actually get crucified because they recognize Jesus as a prophet and they know that uh, Allah would not humiliate a prophet and so Jesus could not have been crucified. But if you think about it, God is totally virtuous, right? Would you agree with that? Mm -hmm. Every virtue, that we have in Christianity, God shows it to perfection. Is being humble a virtue, would you say? Okay, humility is a virtue, then that means that God is perfectly humble. God is willing to be completely humiliated for you, and that's what he did. He humbled himself to the point of the cross. He showed you what real humiliation is like by leading the way and giving us an example of real humiliation, what it means to be totally humiliated as a human being, disgraced, ridiculed, and tortured. So this crucifixion, the Roman cross, was... Reserved for really bad criminals, like Mike said, women didn't have to be crucified. See how did they get out of everything? They, you know, I'm telling you no, it's not fair.
1: They they weren't scourged; they were still. Oh, subjected. they would still be crucified. They were still You're right. To crucifixion. You're right. Yeah.
0: So, okay. So only half as bad. The um, so let's talk about the Roman cross then. The upright part is called the stipes. Okay, it has a name. The part, the horizontal part for the arms is called the patibulum. And what would normally happen is that the victim would have to carry this from the place of the beating to the crucifixion, the site of the crucifixion, and this patibulum would weigh between 75 and about 125 pounds. So it was very heavy, uh, you know, solid beam of heavy wood. The victim was usually, at this time, completely naked, bleeding, um, you know, getting pushed along. Again, part of the humiliation, let's push them along and let people watch this criminal as they're being led away by the centurions and the Roman guard. They would have a sign. The, one of the Romans would carry a sign at the beginning of this procession called a titulus, which was the, what was the crime of this person? So the victim's name usually and the crime was written. Now, there's some discrepancy, if you notice, in the Gospels as to what that sign said. Okay, So here critics would say, oh, look, see the, the, the disciples, they can't even get the story right. They're obviously making it up. Well, in the first place, if you're making something up, and you're a group of guys making something up. The first thing is that you're going to do is you're going to make sure the things do align. So the fact that they the stories are slightly different actually is more likely that it's true. But we know that there were that these signs were very often written in multiple languages. So we have Hebrew, we have Greek, and we have Latin. So we have three different. Uh, wordings or translations of the crime of claiming to be the king of the jews so the guards would parade this person to the site of crucifixion stay with him until he died and then the body usually would remain for several days uh, again as a warning for people usually the places of crucifixion were near the main entrance to a town or along a major highway, sometimes the crosses would just be lined up and you would pass them. Just like today, we pass billboard after billboard after billboard. You can imagine if uh, the uh, state police decided to put up billboards that said things like, don't break the law, don't break the law, don't break the law. Well, this is essentially what they were doing. Billboard after billboard. This is going to happen to you, pal, if you mess with us Romans so that uh, the stipes, the upright part, generally stayed there because they were gonna do multiple people. They'd just leave that pole in the ground and the patibulum would be brought in each time a victim and it would be hoisted up on to the stipes um, and placed on top of it.
1: You know, so, you know it's a really interesting Keith. I love your uh, analogy of this highway with billboard after billboard. Now realize that back then the main mode of travel was by foot. Very few people had an animal that they could ride, be it a horse or a donkey. That was rare, people walked. So if you had billboard after billboard in a modern day highway system, at 60 miles an hour you're going boom, 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 right past them all. you just get a glimpse of what's going on in Atlantic City, or whatever the uh, billboard is saying, right? In in Roman days, you're walking along a Roman highway system with crucifix after crucifix after crucifix, you were walking very slowly and you got a real good glimpse of what was going on. You were able to read, read the titulus, She so you knew exactly who it was and why they were punished. Okay, but again, it was a, a long-lasting visual that and of course men are visual creatures, are we not? So we had a good visual of what was going on in those days and it was a great deterrent uh, to those various crimes that were listed above the, uh, the, the victim's head. But anyway, this brings us to um, the actual crucifixion site Okay, Keith Keith talked about the patibulum uh, being uh, uh, tied to the uh, victim's shoulders. He had to carry this 100 pound or so oak beam uh, from the point of his whipping to the point of where he was actually gonna be crucified. But before they could actually crucify the individual, they had to um, lay him down on the ground. Typically, they were thrown down on the ground. And of course, recall that the individual has been scourged, their back is bleeding, they're completely naked. They're literally thrown down on the dirt and then their shoulders and their arms are spread. They're laid out, laid out on this patibulum and then they're spiked with nails. Now, every one of us here, I believe, has seen a horseshoe nail, have we not? Little short horseshoe nail that's sort of a squarish, tapered steel spike, okay? Now, the Roman nail at that time was similar to that but it was maybe a five to seven inch spike but it was um, tapered, uh, pretty much a square and then driven through the patient patient pa- driven through the uh, individuals wrists okay now we know today that a nail going through an individual's hand would not secure the body on an upright okay it would just rip right through the the weight the dead weight of the body would rip right through the palm if you secured the nail right through the wrist you've got the carpal bones and all the ligaments that hold the wrist and hand together now going back 2000 years ago when anatomy was not well understood the wrist was actually considered the hand so when we see it in print that the nails or the spikes were driven through the individuals hand it's well within reason that we can see anatomically that it was actually the wrist each and every one of us who has a watch on knows where that watch goes Uh, there's a very very tough fibrous band of tissue that encircles your wrist okay it's called the retinaculum retinaculum okay and it's what actually holds your tendons Uh, in place because when I do this with my hand, if there was no retinaculum right here, okay, all of my tendons in my hand would actually bow up to here and it would be a non-functional bit of work. You know, it's all tendon and pulley systems that make the wrist go up and down like this, okay? Dorsiflexion, palmar flexion, that's what we're talking about. Likewise, if I do palmar flexion like this, If there was no retinaculum here the tendons would bow this way Can everybody visualize that so we have this tough fibrous uh, tendinous band all the way around the wrist that when properly pierced and nailed will adequately hold the weight of human body and it's not going to give way okay so I want you to understand that the the hand or the palm itself was not the actual focal point of the spike uh, in crucifixion was actually the wrist okay but anatomically speaking in those days the wrist and the hand were one. It was one functional unit. Now driving that nail also did something else. If anybody in here has ever had carpal tunnel surgery, any hands, carpal tunnel? Okay, I see one, I see a couple of hands going up. You know that there's nerve damage happening to the median nerve. There's three nerves that govern your hand, okay? The ulnar nerve, the median nerve, and the radial nerve. When the medial nerve is getting crushed by the carpal tunnel in the wrist, it causes various symptoms of tingling and burning and pain and so forth in the hand okay when you drive a spike right through the median nerve there's an intense intense searing burning pain that occurs and when that nerve is completely crushed and damaged the hand becomes a claw okay so if you can imagine a victim being stretched out and nailed to the patibulum okay not only is there excruciating pain at the point of uh, of impaling in the wrist but also the the hand becomes totally non-functional. So they're they're literally in agony, okay? So that's how the wrists were secured to the patibulum. okay? Um, So the palms, again, could not support the weight of the body. It was the wrist, and there were a couple of things that were going on at that time uh, with respect to the impaling of the wrist.
0: So once the victim then is nailed to this crossbar, this patibulum, then that the victim and the crossbar get hoisted up by the Roman guards onto the top of the, uh, the stipes, the upright part. So there's at least four, um, four guards, probably two on each side, that would lift, lift it up and place it on the top. Uh, they also had something called a high cross, which was one that they would have to either use forks, extensions to lift the person that high, or actually use ladders. If they wanted to really put something, somebody on display, they would put them on a high cross um, and get them up where they could be seen for long distances. So after they're then hoisted up, then the feet are nailed. Um, and again, this is the same thing with these long spikes. We have examples of crucified remains that we know how the spikes went down. This is again one of the things that critics of the Bible said. Well, this never happened. People were tied to the crosses. They weren't nailed. And you know, then we dig up a pair of ankle bones that are nailed together by a Roman spike. So uh, again, completely historically accurate. The, after the feet were nailed uh, to, the, to the stipes, the upright part, then the sign, the titulus, was then placed at the top of the cross over the victim's head.
1: Um, death by crucifixion typically took uh, anywhere upwards to three to four days or three to four hours depending on how severe the body was scourged Uh, so the hastening of the death hastening of the death could also be uh, quickened by fracturing the legs the tibia typically they would club the tibia uh, so that the individual could no longer support his body weight uh, and that would actually cause A complete drop in his body and the dead weight hanging on the cross which then severely affected his ability his body's ability to breathe which I'm going to get into in a minute Um, things that that also occurred while the individual was hanging was that uh, the birds of prey uh, the vultures we've all seen roadkill and there's vultures hovering around those things they're swooping in in between the cars Um, the birds of prey would literally come in and take chunks of flesh out of these individuals who were totally helpless they couldn't defend themselves against that because their hands and their feet were secured Um, once death did occur if the families had permission from the Roman judges they could take the body down and give it a proper burial Uh, however if it was a common criminal and there was nobody to claim the body that body would stay up there until it totally decomposed and literally fell off the cross okay so the birds of prey the predators and so forth would come by And basically uh, devour uh, the bodies that were unclaimed Uh, rule of thumb nobody nobody survived crucifixions okay the bodies were not released until the Roman soldiers confirmed death and typically that was by uh, uh, not breathing Uh, some of the medical aspects of crucifixion are as follows Um, it was a slow death a slow execution and with intense agonizing pain it was an extreme amount of blood loss, which led to a significant drop in blood pressure, uh, orthostatic hypotension, and shock, okay? Loss of blood volume, loss of body fluids caused shock. My, were,
0: go ahead. Mike, I got a question for you. Shoot. You just said that um, death was confirmed by stopping breathing? That's correct. Okay, so then I think you know that probably what happened is Jesus just held his breath, uh-huh. and that's how he faked them into thinking that he was dead.
1: Well, we're gonna get into that. I'm, okay. gonna, I'm gonna tell you why that is not a correct assumption. I have to wait for the answer. You do.
0: Darn.
1: Okay. But anyway, uh, we talked about the nails and the wrists and the median nerve pain, the fiery bolts of pain, the claw hand, uh, the nailing of the feet. Uh, there was nerve damage done to the feet too. The perineal nerve, which governs the feet, was also spiked and caused intense excruciating pain. Now, as far as the death by uh, asphyxiation, which was the actual cause of death, uh, this is what happens. When you're hanging on a cross, you're basically given uh, a good deep inhalation, okay? The death problem and the breathing problem is actually that of exhalation. It's very hard for you to actually blow off the CO2, the carbon dioxide. So the carbon dioxide was what was accumulating inside the individual's body. Okay, they would literally have to have a concerted effort to lift their body up with their feet by pushing up on that little pedestal that they were on and also to pull up with their arms and their shoulders just to blow out the bad air, the CO2, the carbon dioxide that was accumulating, okay? So the problem was not taking a deep breath, the problem was pushing the air out. With high levels of carbon dioxide, you'd become confused, eventually obtunded, and then go into a coma, okay? So unless you had that ongoing concerted effort to breathe and to push the bad air out, you lapsed into unconsciousness, you stopped breathing, and then what would happen uh, is that there are various modalities of death that could ensue. And these typically were uh, death by heart failure, cardiac arrhythmia, and then death by asphyxiation, exhaustion, in other words, your your body was totally, totally exhausted, you couldn't breathe, you lapsed into consciousness, CO two levels increased, and then uh, you died a cardiac death. Now, why is it that Jesus could not have possibly held his breath?
0: That's what my question was. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, the Roman soldiers came by and they were checking out everybody. The two thieves that were on either side of him were still breathing and they were still hanging in there. Mm-hmm. Literally. Well, that was hanging bad. in there. That was sorry, guys. But anyway. What they did to hasten the thieves' deaths, they, they fractured their legs, crucifractured. They just clubbed the legs until they slumped, and then they would die literally within minutes. Okay, it didn't take that long once the legs were fractured. Tremendous amount of bleeding goes into a big fractured bone like the tibia. So they died within minutes, but they noticed that Jesus wasn't breathing, that he had breathed his last. He shouted out with a gasp to the Father. What did he say? Guys? Right, okay, it is finished. In your hands, I I commend my spirit exactly. So, anyway, everybody saw that he took his last breath, his last gasp, and then he died. But just to make sure, the Roman guard came along and looked at him. Okay, the thieves were dead because they broke the legs, and then they took a spear, and what they do, they thrust it through his side. Not a peep, not a noise, not a gasp, nothing. He was dead, okay? something did, something did uh, dramatically happen at that point in time. Again, if I can come back to Mel um, Gibson's movie, John records it in his gospel that there was a sudden gush of blood and water. Now, John is seen at the foot of the cross in Mel Gibson's rendition of the passion being just showered with water. Now, Keith, if I drew a tube of blood from you right now, and I let it sit on the table for 10 minutes, what would happen?
0: It would separate into its blood clot part and the serum. The
1: clot would go to the bottom and the plasma would go to the top. Plasma is that portion of the blood that's already, the, the clotting products have been consumed.
0: And it looks just like water.
1: Right, serum has the clotting components, plasma does not, okay? Now, if we have a separation of the components like that, we call that clot retraction. Okay, this happens in people who die. After 10 minutes, your your blood has separated into clot and water. So when that spear was thrust through Jesus' side, there was this sudden gush of blood and then water. Guys, the guy was dead for at least 10 minutes. That's my point. John didn't know this. All he did was record that it was true. If you read that passage in John's Gospel, he records, I record that this is true. He didn't know what it meant. He wasn't a doctor. It was 2,000 years ago. The circulatory system wasn't even discovered until Harvey described it in the 16th century. The point is, he was dead for 10 minutes. You don't have clot retraction and blood and water components gushing out of your chest
0: unless you're dead. So men, what this means is that you can convince your skeptical neighbor's friends that there is absolutely no way that the swoon theory is even possible. Jesus definitely died. He rose from the dead. Eyewitnesses claim that they saw him, spoke to him, ate with him. They were so convinced of this that they took Christianity into all the world and were willing to die for the truth that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that's what the weight of the evidence shows. You have been listening to Evidence for Faith I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr.
1: Mike Larrakis.
0: And join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. And just remember that the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true.